0: turn your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to begin in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Last uh, weekend was Easter weekend. I, we're thrilled that you're back today. Uh, we had a lot more people last weekend than showed up this weekend. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, I tell you what, it exceeded my, uh, my expectations. Uh, I'm turning 60 tomorrow, and uh, somebody asked me, how you feel? And I say, I feel just like a 60-year-old turkey hunter. That's how I feel full of vim and vigor and ready to go. But uh, uh, I-, I was thinking, when I turned 40, I got away with the Lord for several days and kind of dreamed and planned about my future. And one of the things that I was asking the Lord for is that I could be a part of a church that was, that was re- reaching, and, 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 uh, reaching out to and connecting with 2,000 people on the weekend. And I am thrilled. Last weekend was the first time that ever happened. And I praise God for that. I praise God there were, uh, I think, 83 people, that's adults, kids, teenagers, that made some kind of step to Christ. Uh, I celebrate today uh, over 200 uh, people from our church. You, you were just volunteering and serving the Lord, and it made me very, very, very proud to, to be a part of our church family. But we started a, a series last week called Building Blocks. Can you say that? Yes. Building Blocks. It's about core values that are the building blocks of a blessed life. Now, when I use the word core values, I'm talking about the main beliefs that guide our life. And how many know every one of us have values that guide us? Every person, whether they're spoken, whether they're written down, uh, corporations have values. Uh, If you get the Texarkana Gazette, they have been running for a number of months now, on the bottom left-hand page, the front page, their core values. Well, everyone has these beliefs, whether we speak them or not, that guide our lives. And here's my contention in this series. If I build my life on biblical core values, I'll have a blessed life. But if I build my life on whether it's selfish or secular or humanistic values, sooner or later I'll experience pain and sorrow. So with that contrast, let me kind of illustrate real quick uh, parenting. How many know even parents have values when they're raising their kids? And if I could show you a secular value system... Uh, And I've heard people say this. Well, meaning people, I don't tell kids what to do. Uh, I don't tell my kids what to do. I let them make up their own rules. (laughs) Proverbs 22, in contrast, says train children to live the right way. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. You see, in today's American... When I was a kid, uh, it was the era of Andy and Mayberry. It was the era of prayer. The principal prayed over the loudspeaker at school. There was none of this... Uh, misinterpretation of history of separation of church and state and we had a godly culture. I can remember a time when even stores were closed on Sundays to honor God. Uh, There there was a time when you didn't have ball games on Sunday night, on Wednesday night, much less Sunday morning, but now all that's gone. So how many know if our kids are left to themselves, they'll grow up very differently if I train them in the ways of the Lord? Well here's another one. Uh, I want my kids to be free-spirited, so I don't tell them no. I've heard Christian people say that. Well, here's what the Bible says. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. It's a different value system. And much of this value system now, the secular side, is taught in our universities. It's taught in our schools. It's made its way through its government. Here's the last one. I want my child to make up their own mind about God. I don't want to influence them. Well, that sounds very noble. But the Bible says, always remember these commands I give them to you today. Teach them to your children. Now, which child will grow up being a responsible member of society that loves the Lord? Well, it's this one because, I'm sorry, it's that, that one is the secular one. This one is the one that's built on godly values. So that's what this series is about. And the building blocks, I mean, we could choose hundreds But I'm trying to pick bigger picture. I'm trying to pick global core values, if I can say that for our own lives. The big picture of how to build a life. Now, last week we talked about uh, our eternal future. And that core value last week was, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My eternity is set as I believe and follow Christ. But this morning's is a little bit even more basic than that. This core value is simply this. My relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. Now, let me say it again. My relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. It guides everything I do. And and, how many of you listen, if you're coming to church on Sunday, last week somebody could have twisted your arm or bribed you, but more than likely, this week you're here because at some level you want to be. And I want to suggest this to you. Our relationship can be very, we can be close to God or we can be far away from God. I, I was sent a text yesterday from someone whose brother was dying and he said his brother raised in church, but his brother with a diagnosis of cancer said that, that, that he, he, he didn't believe there was just one God, uh, it's all about love, uh, there's just this sense of, of he's very far away from the God of his childhood. Well, my friends, our core values shape the very lives that we have. I can be close to God and getting closer or I can be close to God and drifting away from Him. And it's my intention in this morning is to encourage you in your personal relationship with God. How many know our relationship with God doesn't start when we get to heaven? God wants relationship with us each day. And this is what we're going to explore. We're going to look at it. Building block number two is the title of the message. And we're going to explore this from the life of David. Now, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 13, David's relationship with God seemed to be the most important thing of his life. David was the greatest king in Israel's history. Uh, David started out, remember, as a shepherd boy. Uh, He was an unlikely choice to be king, but the prophet saw into his heart. This young man had a love for God at an early age. Uh, He's the one that killed Goliath. But when we look in the pages of the New Testament, it's not his accomplishments, not his achievements that are remembered, But the New Testament remembers something very different about this young man. It remembers his heart for God. Uh, Acts 13 verse 21. Israel is asking for a king and God gave them Saul. Now Saul, if you remember in, in, in the Old Testament, Saul was a man who started out with God. He had some a godly sense about him. But the more he became powerful, the more he became a man of influence and authority, He began to drift away from God. He drifted away from the word of God, the commands of God, became all about him. And then God said this, verse 22, he removed him and he raised up David to be their king. Now, here's the central heart of the passage. I've found in David, say this with me, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And here's the phrase I really like from the New Century version. David is the kind of man I want. Now, I want you to think about, in the inspired scripture, God saying that about you, that you, Sherry or Gwen, you are the kind of woman I want. You're the kind of man that I want. You'll do all that I want him to do. And this is the epitaph of his life. Hundreds of years after he was dead, he was remembered not for his mistakes, not for his accomplishments, but for the fact that he had a real relationship with God. And verse 23 tells us, of his offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus Christ, just as he promised. So in other words, as this man linked himself up to God, as he lived the life God intended him to live, as he was the kind of husband, the kind of wife, the kind of business owner, the kind of employee, the kind of Christian that God wants him to be, God created a special destiny for his life. And I suggest to you the same thing is true of us today. Um, Relationship with God, when we talk about it, it's an abstract concept. Uh, how do I mean? How, how do you have a relationship with a God you can't see? How do you have a relationship with a God you can't touch? How do you have a relationship with God that you read about Him and and you worship Him? But maybe you wonder sometimes: Is my subjective feeling is it real? Uh, is it manufactured or is it is it really indeed? Am I really connecting to to the real God by His Holy Spirit? Well, David seemed to to really focus in this well because. Before we get into the words of David, because what I'm going to do is is, is we're going to look at David's writings in Psalms. If he is who we want to be, if we want to have a closer relationship with God, then then how did David do it? Because it was not just something he was born with. It was something he chose in very specific and practical ways. And I'm going to teach you that this morning from his writings. But how many know our relationship with God can, can be along a, a continuum? How many know we can talk to God when we're in trouble? You know, we can call 911 and say, God help. Or you can wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Now how many know they're very different? You could be a believer, having put your faith and trust in Christ, but yet your relationship with God is more like if I've got a problem, I'm going to you know, take him off the shelf, call 911, fix my problem, and then you know, I'm going to put him back on the shelf. Or you could have a relationship with God so that when you wake up in the morning, you say, good morning. When you go to bed at night, you say, Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for watching over me. Watch over me as I sleep. It's very different. I mean, no, we, uh, we can believe in Jesus because we don't want to go to hell. Or we can obey his commandments because we love him. It's a different kind of relationship. Uh, we can go to church because we're supposed to. Or we can go to church because our heart longs to worship him. We have, in in this morning service, we we sang a bit more between our offering and our our, our preaching time. Not because we needed a filler, but because my own heart longs to worship God more. I want to be with Him, and worship is a way we connect with Him. I'm going to compare this morning uh, our relationship to marriage. Because a husband and wife, I mean, we can be best friends, or you can just be living under the roof because you can't afford to divorce. How many know you're still married, it's still a relationship, but it's different? I mean, a spouse can walk in the door and and, and say, honey, I'm home. Or you can walk in the door, turn the TV on, and not even acknowledge your spouse's presence. I mean, you have relationship, but it's different. What I'm talking about this morning is a a closer relationship with God. Now, I want to ask you this question, what kind of relationship with God do you have today? But more importantly, what kind of relationship do you want to have? See, so often we focus on, in our prayer time and our altar calls, about a commitment to Christ, believing in Him. But my focus is much deeper today. Not only believing in Christ for my salvation, but having relationship with God and walking with Him each day. Let's, uh, let's explore this a bit from David's writings. Now, Psalm 51. And I want to look at what the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And again, I want you to see that in your life and mine, this is possible. I can have a relationship where when God looks at me, it's not just my lifts of achievements, it's not just my good things I've done, but I'm someone that wants to be with the Lord. You remember the sisters in the New Testament, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha was scurrying around with much serving, but Mary just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, how many know it's a time to work? Good works are taught in the Bible. Uh, It matters how we live, but God wants relationship with us. And he wants continual relationship. Let's look at David. Uh, There's four things that we learn from David. And the first one you might find interesting. But the first thing I can learn from David was, is he was not a perfect man. When David messed up like I mess up, I can get some hope. Because when David sinned, he didn't quit with God. But he repented and restored his relationship with God. And And you say, well, why are you beginning with that? It's because all of us in this room, including me, mess up. None of us are where we want to be, and many of us live with shame and condemnation because of our mistakes. Come on, all the church choir said, amen. Amen. But I see in David, who in the New Testament we remember not as an adulterer with Bathsheba. Think about this now. David, if you went back and read his story, David is the king, and he takes his authority farther than it should go. He sees this cute gal taking a bath on a roof. He said, I want her. Lust took over. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And and, and rather than coming clean, what he does is he tries to connive and manipulate to make it pretend like uh, her husband got her pregnant. He won't do it. I mean, he's an honorable man, and lo and behold, David kills him. So here you got a guy that, that, that killed one of his best friends, that took his wife, but when we go ahead hundreds of years in the New Testament, we see him described as a man after the heart of God. Now, how can that be? Because, you see, we have in our minds that men and women after the heart of God are perfect people and don't make mistakes. But how many know we can make mistakes in life, but when we do, the question is, what do I do then? Do I, do I live in my mistake? Do I stew in it? Do I continue in it? Or do I quickly get away from it and come back to God? And that's why I'm beginning here. Let me read what uh, David wrote. Psalm 51, was uh, scholars believe that his was written after his sin with Bathsheba. And David says, have mercy on me, God. Blot out the stain of my sins. Now, if you've got kids, you know, if you've got little boys or if you've got tom girls, and it's springtime, they're out in the yard, they're playing, they're dirty. Worms are squished in the pants, you know. I mean, red clay, how are you going to get it out? Uh, It takes Tide and spray and wash and everything, but you want to get that stain out because you want their pants to be clean and looking new again. Well, that's what God says about how we are on the inside. David said, i got to get rid of this stain. That's different than America today. In America, a lot of what the Bible calls sin is applauded. It's lauded. It's legalized. And people are encouraged in it. We watch it. We see it on television. But yet God calls it sin. The Bible wants, wants us to pull away from the things of, uh, of the world, the sinfulness. He says, wash me and clean me from my guilt. I recognize my rebellion. Who's the rebellion? The rebellion against God. It haunts me day and night. Can I tell you, guilt and this haunting feeling of having done wrong is not bad if it takes us to the cross. And the way you know the difference between conviction and condemnation is this. When God the Holy Spirit convicts us, he always points us to the cross for forgiveness, always calls us to repent. But when the devil harasses us with condemnation, it just makes us feel bad. Now, David, though he sinned against a human being, he says this, Against you and you alone have I sinned. In other words, my sin is ultimately against God. And here's what he says, give me back my joy again. Now, I don't know about you, but if I let a sin get in my life, I don't care if it's a little one or a big one, I've got to hide it, I've got to cover up, I I feel guilty, it's going to affect my relationship with God. I can tell you from experience, I'm ashamed to say this, you can come to church and the worship is not as real if sin, come on now, is, is a welcome mistress in your life. It separates you from God. It's like getting something rusty. I've got a tiller at home for my garden. And if you want to move it fast through the yard, you take the little pins out from the wheels and the axles, you know, turn freely. If you want to, the thing to work in the garden, you put the pins back in and the transmission, you know, it, it turns the wheels. Well, one time it got rusty and the wheels were so hard I I couldn't take the pin in and out. Well, I mean, our spiritual life gets like that sometimes. It gets a little rusty. And when we're rusty, typically it's because we've let something foreign into our our relationship and it's messed us up on the inside. He said, God, I want to have a clean heart. Give me a loyal spirit, loyal to you. Don't banish me from your presence. The New Testament talks about grieving the Holy Spirit or, or quenching him. Uh, Ephesians actually says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Uh, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you this is the first lesson I can learn from David. My willful sin in life can cause problems between my relationship with God and I. But what God wants me to do, come on, as a man or a woman after God's own heart, is confess it to God, to turn from it, and reach out to God for help. Because I want to get the junk off of me. God wants to forgive me and give me something fresh. And David's example is loud and clear. You can mess up, but when you mess up, come back to God because God wants to restore relationship. Come on, give the Lord a big big hand this morning. Let's look at the second one. Psalm chapter 40, uh, David was committed to do God's will. Now, what I'm going to share with you this morning is not profound, but you can put it into practice today. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to get closer to God. How do I do it? I'm telling you, friends, the starting place was... Confess and repent of your sins. Be like David. Go to God. And the second one is this: be committed to do God's will. And what I want you to see, oftentimes when I'm in a situation, uh, and I'm gonna be honest, I don't always want to do God's will. Any takers here today? Come on, that doesn't honest people here. The rest of you, are a bunch of liars. I mean, it's, it's caught up within us. I mean, it's our flesh, it's our lower nature, I mean, it's our worldliness. And We don't always do want to do God's will, and we're kind of reluctant or resistant. But listen to what David said, Psalm 40, verse 6. I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Now, in the Old Testament, the way that sins were atoned for or mistakes was an animal sacrifice. And their church service, if it were, was not like ours where we came and sing songs. I mean, there were sacrifices of animals. It was, I mean, it was very different experience. But what he's saying was this. There's something more important than religious duty or obligation. There's something more important. You see, it's religion that emphasizes duty, traditions, and rules. It's the have-tos. You don't require these things. Look what David said. I take joy in what? Is it up there? Yeah, doing your will. Think about that. I take joy in doing your will. Now, listen, I think it's better to do the will of God, whether I'm joyful at it or not. But what I want to tell you is you can get to that place where you want to do things that make God happy. Linnell's preaching a women's conference this weekend at a church in Connecticut. And uh, uh, I just know things that make her happy. One of them is a clean house. Well, guess what? She's not going to come home and have a fit if the house is not clean. But you know what? Her heart's going to drop a little bit. So I'm going to make sure, you know, Rebecca and I are going to put on the cleaning gloves, and we're going to make sure that that house looks nice. And I'm not doing that because I have to or because she's threatening me, but I want to make her happy. See, this idea of our will, yielding our will to another, it's one of the greatest challenges in in life. I remember my children growing up, my, my youngest child, Rebecca, she's 17 now, and she is an absolute joy to have in the home. I mean, I just cannot tell you, she's in 11th grade, how fun it is. But when she was 13, I considered running an ad to give her away. <laughs> she's my strong-willed one. She didn't want to do it, and bless God, she wasn't going to do it. And if you made her do it, she was just going to do it standing up. I mean, you might make me sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, Now, listen, as a parent... You know, you, you, you don't have to beat them to death. I mean, I mean, but somehow as a parent, our responsibility is to represent the authority of God and teach them that there's boundaries, teach them that there's consequences. But something happened when she was about 14 where, first of all, not in relation to mom and dad, but in relation to God. And, and, and she first submitted herself to God. And then she started submitting herself to mom and dad, and, and what happened, I mean, when Rebecca would simply do things that we asked her to do because it was the right thing, because it was our, our, the rules in our home, it made us want to do things that would make her happy and we have had a cycle going for a long time now, is that she says, yes, sir, and she does those things. Listen, if, if, if she needs to be home and there's a curfew set for her, she doesn't, you know, let's just say the curfew's 11. Well, she, you know, I'm not sitting at the door at 11.15 doing like this, you know, just waiting for that young man to bring her home. She's home. And she's not home because she's scared to death she's going to get, you know, grounded or something like that. She has chosen to yield her will. And when she yields her will, guess what? She gets more freedom, and she gets more blessing from our My wife tells me, she said, she has you wrapped around her finger. I said, I know it, and I love it, so don't tell me about it anymore. <laughs> I like it. Why am I sharing that? She's happier now than she was, and we're happier, come on, than we were. And it's all started when she began to yield her will to the authority of her parents. It's the exact same thing in our relationship with God. As You can move from the have to... Come on, the judgment, the hell, to I want to because I want to love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll obey my commandments and they won't be burdensome. But what I'm telling you today is this is not just a discipline thing, this is a desire thing. You can come to a place like I came to come to a place. Uh, listen, when we start out with Christ, typically, you know, we're not looking for the Lord, the Lord and Master, Jesus. We're looking for a Savior because our life is messed up and we needed help. But at some place in the journey, we recognize if we're going to get closer to God, we've got to make Christ Lord. And this is the essence of being a Christian. Being a Christian is not just believing in theology that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's following Him. And I'm telling you, it's hard because you'll find that there's some things you have to let go of. You'll have to do differently. But yet, the closer I get to God, the further away I want to get from those things. Are you with me today? And this is the second big thing David teaches us is you can come to a place in your life where you delight to do the will of God. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm not not there yet, so what should I do? I'm going to give you a piece of advice and very practical because you can put this into practice. We can all get closer to God than we are today. Here's something I'd tell you, friend. Next time you have your prayer life, simply ask the Lord. Just say, Lord, would you help me have a desire to do your will? Because I want to be honest with you. I really don't want to do this. But if you'll change my heart, I'll be the kind of person you want me to be. How many think God will answer that prayer? Yeah, sure he will let me let me give you a third one. Uh, Psalm twenty seven. All very simple, but David loved God's presence. Now what do I mean by that? He loved God's presence. The definition of the presence of the Lord is simply an awareness that God is near. Now, theologians use a phrase it's called the omnipresence of God, which means God is somehow present everywhere. That doesn't mean God is in the trees like some earth worshipers would believe, but it means God has an awareness of everything, everywhere, everything that's going on, every hair on our head, all that's happening in our life. But the, the, the omnipresence of God can become the manifest presence of God where you and I become aware that God is near. It could be a very joyful experience in worship where you sense the presence of the Lord. It could be an intimate time in worship where you just you feel like falling on your knees or falling on your face before God. It could be walking around wherever you pray. It could be walking around and just being awed by the glory of God. But this idea of the presence of the Lord, let me read uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, that is that I could get a turkey before the season closes on Tuesday. One thing. If you were going to ask God for one thing, what would it be? What'd she say? More wishes. wishes. Okay, I don't know how to respond to that, but take six or seven. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. I don't know about you, but my seeker, and I use my my turkey, honey. All of us have things that we love in life. All of us have ambitions, we have desires, and they're not bad things. They're just not the most important thing. David said, there's one thing I seek, so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. What in the world was he talking about? He was captured by the presence of God. In this particular case, it was surrounding the temple of the Lord, what we would call church. I mean, no church can be a place that we go to by obligation. Or church can be a place where we go to to worship and pour out our heart to him. I'm not a very good singer, and I don't sing much on my own. But when I come to worship with the people of God, come on now. This is what David was saying. I love his presence. Psalm 84, perhaps another writer uh, other than David, but it, it resonates. My soul yearns for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now if you were to read this scripture to me when I was a young boy, I would have looked at you clueless. I had no idea because I just thought the God thing was about going to church and reading your Bible and saying your prayer before your meal. I mean, come on, I had a form of religion, but I didn't have relationship with God. And what I'm telling you, there's a God that you can't touch, you can't feel and your eyes can't see, but yet spiritually, the real you, you can sense his presence in a real and vital way. Let me understand what I'm talking about. David wanted relationship with God. He loved the presence of the Lord. And when I talk about this, his presence was not spooky. It's not mystical. It's not weird. But it's a special sense that God is near. In the book of James, when the Bible tells us that if we draw near or get closer to God, what will God do? He'll get closer. He'll draw near to us. Doesn't it just make sense that as God is nearer to me, I'll become aware that He's there? Sure. Uh, I, I was raised in church, a young boy in, in the Methodist church, grateful for it. We we're conservative back then in, in, in the church that I went to. But uh, we had five, so small, it was five pews on each side. And uh, there were only two families with kids. But Miss Green would play the piano, and we could pick the song we wanted. And one song that I liked, it was, uh, I think it was called In the Garden. And this song said this, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Now, churches that sang that growing up, their theology might have been dispensational and believed that the supernatural aspects of God were relegated to the New Testament times. And when the apostles died, all that stopped. But yet we'd sing this song and say, I just go and get along with God, and I sense his presence. And I listened to the second verse. Somebody sent me a modern rendition, and the second verse said something like, I'm in the garden, and it's getting dark, and now I have to leave. And then an amazing thing, I'd listen to that song in church, and I would feel holy, or I would feel something special, but I never went to the garden. I'm singing a song about somebody else going to the garden alone and somebody else God talking to, but it was not happening to me. I want to suggest to you, friends, if we'll just make place in our life to go to be with God, God will come and be with us. It's a real deal, friends. This idea of the presence of the Lord, Genesis 5, another uh, definition, it means close fellowship with God. If you remember in the Old Testament, Genesis 5, there's a man named Enoch. Verse 24 says he walked in close fellowship with God, and then one day he disappeared because God took him. You say, what does that mean? I guess God got tired of coming down to be with him, and God said, hey, look, why don't you just come on up and live with me full time? That's pretty cool. Listen to what Exodus said. Moses, God told Moses in the wilderness, my presence will go with you. And Moses said, "If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here." In other words, that awareness that God is near will guide my life. That awareness that God is near will guide my decisions. Will be with me in the storms or tornadoes of life. God is near. You say, "Well, that's Old Testament." How about Stephen? When Stephen was being stoned in the New Testament, the Bible said his face shined or shone like an angel. The early church, beyond the day of Pentecost, but in Acts what, 3, 4, right in there, uh, Peter and John are being persecuted. They go back to the church, and they're starting to pray. And when they're praying, the Bible says this: the whole uh, they were all filled with the Spirit. There was what was like an earthquake, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they speak the word of God boldly. What is all that? It's the presence of the Lord with his people. And I'm telling you, friends, as we grow closer to God, the presence of the Lord will come more real. Let me give you the last one. It's very close to this one. The fourth thing that we learn from David is David spent time each day talking to God. That's simple, but it's profound. Psalm 88, verse 13, I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning my my prayer comes to you. In the Bible reading a couple days ago, didn't we read where Jesus got up a great while before day and he went out and he began to spend time with his father? Listen to what the psalmist said, and this is probably my favorite scripture of the whole day. Psalm 27, verse 7. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. Listen to verse 8. My heart, David said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Think about that. I heard God say, come and talk with me. And my heart said, Lord, I'm on my way. What's happening there? It's relationship. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is spending time alone with God. Prayer is being with Him. The course of my life, I've always had special places to pray. Uh, It used to be, I used to work 50 hours a week in the church building here. Uh, This was my favorite place to pray, right here, right on the altar. If you love to pray, our building is open anytime time to come and pray, but, but my life has evolved a bit. I'm doing most of my studies at home, and, and my routine is I get up in the morning, and the first thing, this, is, this is, will help you, first thing I get say when I get out of bed is, good morning, Lord. And the second thing I say is, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life today. Now, I'm talking about before coffee, before caffeine, I'm talking about you're out of the bed, and the first thing out of your mouth, Good morning. The second thing, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life today. And then somewhere after that, I find my way and I open my Bible and I begin to read and God talks to me. I'm not looking for a sermon for you. I'm not looking for a Facebook post. I'm looking for something to feed my soul. But it's amazing as I read my Bible, first I'm fed and then I find something to post on Facebook and then I find something to share with you on the weekend because God is talking with me. See, and then I go outside after I read my Bible, and I have a little circular drive now. It's probably 75 yards around maybe, but I just start walking and talking with God. It's not just from a memorized list. It's kind of like the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, but I may be walking, and and lately I've been having a burden for people that are having serious health problems, and I'm simply asking God, I'm starting my prayer, God, would you have mercy on them? At some point, I'm thankful for God for what God's doing and what he's given me and I'm walking around, I've got a lot of flowers blooming, and I'll stop and look at one, and i say, Lord, thank you that you created that. And you're the same God who created that flower. Is the same God that promised to watch over me. You see, it's just I may walk around that little loop a half a dozen times. I may walk a dozen times, but sooner or later, the day pulls me aside. I'm telling you, friends, if you will take time to be with God and talk with Him, He'll talk with you. Yesterday morning, I got up to go turkey hunting, and it's like an hour drive, and I'm up at 5 o'clock, and I'm on the road, and normally I listen to talk radio or podcasts or Christian music. I decided I'm just going to turn it off, and I'm going to take the next hour talking to God. I'm telling you, friends, David showed us that as we talk to God, God says, I'll talk to you. And it's one of the best ways I can tell you, if you will just make place for God, you'll find that God is becoming more real in your life. One of the greatest problems in marriage is communication. If spouses aren't talking, conflicts are there. You know what? Our spiritual life is the same way. But when we're communicating with God, come on, life just works better. Because he's a good God. Thank God we're close. But he wants us to be closer. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning and... I want to close in prayer. Next week, we're going we're gonna to do building block number three. And uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, just still kind of praying about what to make it. But I want us to just take just a moment. Before we go, if we could just take a moment and connect with God in prayer. And just say, Lord, now, what are you saying to me in this message? I want you to be thoughtful just a moment with me about Jesus. Remember, Jesus was asked in the Gospel of Mark, one of the religious leaders, and said, What's the most important commandment in the whole Bible? And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you're to love the Lord your God. Say it with me with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all your strength. But what is he saying to us? God wants relationship. He didn't want to be the man upstairs. He didn't want to just talk to me when I have a 911 crisis. He wants to be my father. David, my friends, us, gives us an example to follow. The epitaph of David's life, as it were, on his tombstone, was not his accomplishments in life, but he was a man after the heart of God. He's a man that God says, this is how I want you to be. And David is not just some faraway example. Everything we read this morning, we can begin to practice. See, we can begin to practice right now. If there's a sin that's gotten between us and God, Rather than just tolerating or living with it or being ashamed of it, we can come on back to the Lord. We can do exactly what David said. God, forgive me and clean, cleanse me and help me get over this thing that I can't get over myself. I want relationship with you. Second thing David did that we can do too is David wanted the will of God. And we can be honest with God and say, God, I don't, know, I don't want your will in this area of my life, but I want you to change my heart so I do. So you can get up tomorrow morning when you get out of bed after you've told the Lord good morning you can say Lord I want your will to be done in my life today and I don't want to do it because I have to or should or need to I want you to give me a heart that I desire to David showed us that we could connect with the presence of God not just knowing God and knowing about God but knowing Him David showed us that if we'll just take time to answer his call to prayer God will talk to us. Good morning, Lord. And when I go to bed at night, good night, Lord. Thanks for watching over me. Let's bow your head just a moment. Could you just say, Lord, okay, but what are you saying to me? Because, Lord, I want to tell you, I want a closer relationship with you. Could you just say that to the Lord in your own way? I want a closer relationship. I don't want my shame to keep me away any longer. I want you to give me a brand new heart. I want you to cleanse me and renew me and make me, Lord, new on the inside. I I want you to give me a heart that desires the will of God. I want you, Lord, to help me to make time in my day to just talk to you. And, Lord, I want you to help me experience the reality of your presence. And then let me fall in love with it. In Jesus' name. Let's close this way. We're going to have our prayer team come back to the front. And maybe in the la- course of the last 30 minutes or so, maybe the Lord just kind of unearthed some things, uncovered some things. Because when you leave this place, your world is going to be exactly the same way it was when you left. But you can be different when you leave if you've connected with God. Maybe you need to pray for yourself personally. Maybe you have a burden for somebody else. We'll pray about anything in this altar. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your personal relationship with God. See, here's something I didn't know. I was raised in church, grateful for it, but I didn't know I could have a relationship with God. I just thought you're more good than you are bad. You go to church, you know, back then when God, Mom made me go, and whenever I was in trouble, I'd pray real hard till the trouble was over, and then I would, you know, put God back on the shelf but a man told me one time, he was a Gideon he said, Jesus Christ, the scripture records these words, that as many as received him, like a gift received Jesus as their savior, to those he granted the right to become sons and daughters of God even those that would believe on his name I didn't realize that periodically we have times where we're like driving a car and we stop at a T intersection and that's when God's calling us to follow him, and we can either go left and keep going our way we can stop and turn and go God's way Maybe this is a morning where you make a decision to follow Christ. You see, committing your life to Jesus is a very deliberate decision and act of your will. It's like driving a car. If you can imagine, Jesus is in the passenger seat, but we're pretty much going where we want to go. But then one day we realize something's missing. I've never given God control of my life. You pull that car to the side of the road. You turn the keys off. You get out of the door. And if you can imagine this in your mind, you go to the passenger door open the door for Jesus, you say, would you get out? I want to give you the keys to my life. Maybe that's you today, and you need to start a relationship with Christ. If that's you, we'd be honored to pray with you. And as we begin to sing, we'll invite you to just come to the cross, and someone will be there to pray with you as you commit your life to Christ. Go ahead and begin to sing, Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now, and if you'll just sing this one song with us before you go, men and women are here in the altar. If you need prayer for anything, you come. Most importantly, if your heart's beating a little faster right now and you feel like I'm talking to you about making that step to Christ and make Him Lord and Savior, we'll reach at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming.